Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. How many know that parenting is probably the most demanding thing you'll ever experience in life? Parenting is not for wimpy people. If you're a parent, you are not a wimp. Uh, it takes courage, it takes grit, it takes tenacity, it takes persistence, it takes deep love, unselfishness, and a lot of other things. I came across an article by a major publication on the reasons not to have kids. And I could hardly believe these reasons because they were just so stupid. And they were just so stupid, I had to share them with you this weekend. It's five reasons why you should not have children today. Laugh at these with me. Number one, having a child contributes to global warming. <laughs> I'm so glad Beethoven's parents didn't think that, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't have all this great music. I'm so glad uh, that your parents didn't think that. Otherwise, we wouldn't have you. Uh, number two, it costs money to have a child. Well, yeah, okay, man, I can't, you know, don't have as much money to buy all the stuff and junk I buy because I have a baby now. Number three, if you have a baby, you will eat more fast food. It's really lame to blame your uh, nutritional choices on your kid. Uh, number four, you should not have kids because you'll have less time for yourself. And that's true, but if you're like me, you're kind of tired of yourself anyway, and so a kid would be welcome to that. Number five, because your friends won't understand. Uh, well, you've got some bad friends if that's your reason, so uh, you need some new friends anyway. But any one of you, come on, you could have come up with a much better list than that of reasons to not have kids. I mean, there's way better, re just off the top of my head, I made a list of way better reasons not to have kids. Number one, projectile vomit. <laughs> just no warning, it just comes. There's a, number two, sleep deprivation. And uh, I used to get just a little bit irritated when I saw people sleeping through church. Um, I I'm over it now, okay? Let's all take a nap, please. If, if we can give you a nap time, that's great. That's a wonderful ministry we offer here. Number, I asked Chris Brown if he wanted to add any to uh, the list, the worship pastor here. He said, I've got one word you can add to that list. Nose Frida. No, how many of you know what a nose Frida is? Yes. For the rest of you, I will do you a favor and not describe uh, the uh, activity of the nose Frida. Number four, my w greatest fear realized, having to do seventh grade math again. That is a great reason to not have kids. And uh, number five, and uh, if you're a pastor, you would put this on the list too, kids repeat everything you say. <laughs> and it's amazing what they'll choose to repeat and not repeat. Like, okay, Landry, you've repeated the word I said when I whacked my head in the garage all day today. Could we find a new word, please? <laughs> but let me give you some reasons to have kids in your life. Now, uh, these aren't theological. Uh, they're just some reasons that I've come up with and uh, other, others have given me that are great reasons to have kids. Number one, there will be more humor and fun in your life. My wife Lauren and I have a two-year-old at home. We have another boy uh, on the way and um, we just, oh, let's not go to that yet. I'm just giving the reasons to have kids. Um, and it's just amazing how much 
more fun life is. We, between the two of us, we've got nine uh, nieces and nephews, and just every kid has just added more and more fun and humor into life. Uh, number two, second reason to have kids, you get to play with all the fun toys that you miss. And it's like, okay, man, you're jumping on the bed. That's just, that's not weird anymore that I do that. Uh, you know, asking for a Nerf gun for Christmas, that's not, now that we have a kid, that's not strange anymore. So that's good, you know, bubble guns and Nerf guns and Legos. Third reason to have a kid, their little voice saying daddy or mommy. Is that not just the best thing ever? Number four, the joy of discovery and wonder. You know, Landry, he's not upset that it snowed again. You open up the door, it nosed, it nosed again. You know, uh, number five, and this one's very uh, meaningful to me, uh, kids offer you an excuse to leave a boring party. So uh, you you can always pull that one out anytime with a kid, you know, got to get. Number six, you you always have an excuse for a messy house. Uh, Number seven, seeing the miracle of God creating life. Number eight, understanding more deeply the heart of God. Number nine, having kids develops your relationships with others. It doesn't hurt your relationships with others. It develop, how many of you parents have more friends and better friends through your kids? See, like you met them through your kids' activities and things like that. And number 10, uh, and this is really all you need right here, they'll mow your lawn. So <laughs> that's great, yeah. Someone's getting singled out over here. Sorry, dude, sorry about that. But God actually uh, commanded that we have kids. It said, be fruitful and multiply, he said. A few weeks ago, we talked about uh, the essentials for an amazing family. We talked about uh, you know, relationships and faith and purpose and grace. And uh, today, I want to talk about how families uh, can specifically help the kids. So I like how you, can, how you can help your kids as a parent. What uh, how you can help as, a, as an uncle, as an aunt, as a, as a parent in their life. Kids have needs that it's best it, that their family fulfill. Do you know what your kids' needs are? When's the last time you thought about what, what your kids need specifically from you? And I want to talk about four things today that kids need uh, from their families. And I have uh, a symbol for each one of these four. And uh, the first symbol of what kids need from their families is this game. How many of you remember the game Candyland? How many of you have played the game Candyland? How many of you are desperately hoping I'm not going to tell you to play Candyland and you hope you never play it again? Yeah, lots of hands on that one. Candyland, it's for ages three and up, it takes absolutely no skill. It's purely a game of chance. There's no strategy. Just what happens, happens, and you can't decide or do anything about it. And kids absolutely love it. What does Candyland have to do with a need that your kids have that they need from their families? Well, kids need, they need their family to be a playful family. If you're taking notes, just write down the word fun. They need a family that is fun. This is the missing ingredient in so many families today. When families, it's just as families grow, they grow more negative and more serious all the time. And hello, who wants to come home from school to that? Who wants to come home from work to that? Who wants to come in from out of town to that? A few weeks ago, I was watching some man on the street interviews where, you know, you just stick a mic in a random person's face and ask them a question. And they're actually doing this with kids. And they did ask hundreds of kids uh, a few questions. And one of the questions was, what fun things do you like to do 
with your family. And they were answering things like help, helping mom cook and opening presents and going to church, things like that. I love that. Because the fact is, your family is not boot camp. And kids are, are not in boot camp. Parents are not drill sergeants, okay? That's not the role of a family. Your family is not a business. And parents are not CEOs. A family is not a laboratory experiment. And parents are not research scientists experimenting. Well, let's add a little bit of this and take a little bit of this away and, and maybe see how we can raise the perfect child. There's no perfect child. There's no perfect parent. There's no perfect families. There's, there's no science to having an amazing family. It's an art. It's an art form that you're developing. That's the skill. It's a skill that you're developing that's an art form. And it's an art to turn situations into fun situations. My family has learned the art of how to make the most boring or mundane, even disappointing situations fun and funny and memorable. It's an art you have to develop. You know, most people know that the Bible encourages us to work, but we forget that the Bible over and over again encourages us to enjoy life and to have fun. 1 Timothy 6.17, Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth. So if your family, don't, don't be prideful. Don't put your hope in money. It's all so uncertain. But put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's a deep theological statement there that God is providing, creating everything for our enjoyment. In Psalm, it says, children are a gift from God. So a gift is given, and it's meant to be enjoyed. And God meant for your family to play and have some fun. Solomon tells us to enjoy every day of life. Why? Because you don't know how many days you got left. You're not guaranteed next year, next month. You're not even guaranteed tomorrow. So don't put, don't put enjoying your family and enjoying your kids and having fun as some carrot on a stick that's just always out of reach. Well, once we get our business to this place and once this thing's settled and once we have this much money or live in this certain place or whatever's going to happen, then we'll start enjoying. Then we'll start having fun. Now, kids know. They know if you're enjoying them or not. You know, pe people don't remember what you say, but they will remember how you made them feel. And that's important advice for a boss, for an employer, for a husband, a boyfriend, a, a girlfriend, a wife, a coach, a teacher, especially a parent. You know, I don't remember all the things my dad said to me, especially as a young child, but I remember how he made me feel. And your kids aren't going to remember much of what you said, uh, but they're going to remember how you made them feel. And amazing families are playful and they're fun. So those kids, uh, those kid on the street interviews had a number one answer. By far. And I thought the number one answer was interesting, so I started asking kids at Rockbrook the same question. What, what fun thing do you like doing with your family? Just in between services and at student service, different things like that. And the number one answer came back the same as in those videos I was watching. The number one thing kids said they love to do with their family, play board games. And all of you are like changing your budget for 2019 right now because it's board games. We can pull that off. We can do that. 
But why, why do they love playing board games with their family? Even teenagers were saying that. And what, you know, one family is telling me, yeah, when we pull out the games, all the teenagers are like, no, no, we don't want to do that. And then five minutes into it, they're having a blast. Why do kids love playing board games with their parents, with their family? Because of how it makes them feel. And in a game like that, you're sitting around a table. You're all relatively about the same height. You're all under the same rules. It's this little sliver of life where, you know, normally adults are under some set of rules and kids are under another. Everything is the same. It's all equalized in a game like that. And they love doing that with their family. Another thing that people said often, that kids said often, was go to the park. Go to the park. How much more old-fashioned old can you get? It's free. I said, what do you love to do at the park? Play frisbee and lie around and play tag and have a picnic. And all the answers, the common denominator, was time. Time. Kids don't spell love, L-O-V-E. Kids spell love, T-I-M-E. They want time with their parents. They want time with their siblings. They want time with their family. So, because when you are giving your kid time, you are giving your life. You're giving them something you can't get back. So Candyland represents uh, something kids desperately need from their families. They need a playful family. They need a fun family. Uh, The second uh, symbol of what kids need from their families is this watering can. And what do you use a watering can for? Uh, Use it to water flowers and plants and vegetables and to grow a garden. And you can't make a garden grow. You can't force anything in a garden to grow. But it's not going to grow well if you don't nurture it, if you don't care for it, if you don't weed it, if you don't water it. So in much in the same way, uh, a family is like a garden. You've got to weed it. You've got to water it. You've got to look after it. And what kids need from their families is they need opportunities for growth. They need their growth encouraged. Just if you're taking notes, write down that one word. Kids need growth. If your family's not growing, you're boring. You're just stuck in a rut. Look at how Jesus grew. This is amazing. It says when Jesus was 12 years old, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Notice four kinds of growth there. You grew in wisdom. That's uh, intellect. He grew intellectually or mental growth. You grow in stature. That's physical health. He grew in favor with God. That's spiritual growth. He grew in favor with man. That's relational growth. We need to be growing these ways as well. Our kids need to be growing in these way in these ways. There are some things that grow inside a kid in a family that they learn from their family. Uh, for good or for bad, they pick them up from their family. And you don't learn them in school. You don't learn them at, at work. You learn them from your family. And if you don't learn them well in the family, life is going to be tough for you. It's going to be tough for our kids. I'm going to give you five quick things that you learn from your family that you can't learn anywhere else. The first one is, uh, what do I do with feelings? How do you deal with how you feel? And in an amazing family, you learn how to recognize your feelings and how to express your feelings correctly rather than incorrectly. The family, the home, needs to be a safe place for kids to experiment with their feelings, come to understand their feelings, and to way to navigate those and learn how to express those correctly, not incorrectly. 
But too often, if the family is not a safe place to express that, kids get into school environments and work environments, and they don't know the emotion anger and how far that can go or how to experiment with that or what to do with that. They've never experienced it before. So they take it to these places where they're expressed incorrectly because they didn't have a safe place to understand that feeling early on. So you've got to learn what to do with feelings. The second skill you have to learn in the family is how to handle conflict. And when it's appropriate, it's good for kids to see their parents work out a problem or a problem with somebody else. and How to deal with how when you get offended or hurt or disappointed. How to deal when you get mad. A third thing you learn from your family is how to handle loss. Because you're going to have losses in life. You just will. Nobody wins all the time. In fact, for a kid to have an unspeakable unbroken string of wins early on can be detrimental to them because you don't win all the time in life and you've got to you've got to learn it's best to learn in the family in in that environment that failure is not final that you're gonna make you're gonna rise again it's it's okay the fourth thing we learn from our families is what matters most and you got to help your kids know what's important and what's not important Because the world is teaching a value system. The world is teaching that what matters most is sex, salary, and status. It's the three temptations from the beginning of time. That that everyone's having all this amazing sex and you'll be fulfilled if you can just have uh, amazing sex. It's that that everyone, you're going to be more fulfilled the more money you make. That that's what's going to be fulfillment. That if you can get all the different people to praise you and compliment you, then you're going to be content. And none of it's true. It's all empty. And you've got to teach your kid what is really going to lead to contentment. What's really going to lead to fulfillment in their life. And we've got to learn what matters most. The fifth thing we learn from our families is how to develop good habits. Because habits determine our character. Okay, that's great, but how? How do you do this? I just want to give you two ways that help people grow and two ways that stunt people's growth. Okay, two ways. This applies to every person in your life, every area of life. Two ways that help people grow, two ways that don't. Uh, First way that helps people grow is through example. Most of this stuff for your kid is going to be caught, not taught. So you don't have to turn everything into a teachable moment, all right? Jesus, he, he didn't turn everything into a sermon. He didn't turn everything into a teachable moment. Jesus led by example. If he wanted his disciples to wash each other's feet, he'd wash their feet first. And then he'd just say, go and do likewise. If he wanted, he would uh, do something and just say, go and do likewise. He led by example. It started with him. And kids, they, they don't need another sermon from you. They just need to see it in your life. The second way we help people grow is through conversations. The problem is, as families grow and as kids grow, the conversations just turn into the nuts and bolts of life. Of, hey, can, can I go over here? Uh, can I go to this person's house? What time do I need to be home? What are we going to eat? Uh, what kind of homework do you have? And it just turns into the grind and the deadlines of life. And there's no room for conversation about what really matters. And the goal, the goal is that this stuff would just become part of the culture of your family. That it's not a sermon, it's not a teaching, it's just life. 
My hope is not that you would take this outline and that it would, like, you'd memorize this outline and it would be some kind of checklist to follow. No, my hope is that this would just become the natural part of your life, the culture of your family. That it's just, it just shows up in the conversations. So example and conversations are two ways to help people grow. Let me tell you two ways that don't work. They've never worked. They will never work in helping someone grow. First way is not through criticizing. Criticizing never worked to grow anybody or change anybody or change anything. Why? Because when you criticize, you're focusing on what you don't want rather than what you do want. For instance, when I play racquetball, I play racquetball with uh, Pastor Will Chalicombe, and and, uh, he's really good, and it's a lot of fun, uh, but I have a tendency, a bad habit, to hit a lot of racquetballs into the floor. So they hit the floor before they hit the wall. And sometimes I get so fed up with it that when he's serving, I think in my mind, don't hit the floor, don't hit the floor, don't hit the floor, don't hit the floor, and what do I do? Hit the floor, yeah, because that's what I'm thinking about. That's the predominant thing in my mind. And it's, it's a criticizing way of thinking. And when we enforce that on other people, when we tell them what we don't want, what we're disappointed in, it doesn't work to grow them. It's never worked. And some people will say, well, they're going to get criticized in the world. I want them to be tough. You're not making them tough. You're making them a failure. You're making you a failure because you're setting yourself up as an unpleasable parent. And if it's, man, they did that thing, but okay, here's the next thing to work on. And and here's what I didn't like about that. And here's what didn't work about that. A kid hits a breaking point where they say, my parent cannot be pleased. And I can try and try and try, but they're never just going to be happy and satisfied with something. So I'll just show them how lazy I can be. I'll show them how late I can be. I'll show them how irresponsible I can be. I'll show them. And when you set yourself up as an unpleasable parent, it sends them to a place where they're they're never going to be happy, so I'm just not even going to try. And this is called teaching for repentance. It's how we preach here. It's how we encourage you to parent your kids. That repentance isn't, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Repentance is change your mind, change your belief. Come on, let's go do this. Let's work on this together. Let's do this. So not through criticism, but also not through comparing. Not through comparing. Now, not all comparison is bad. Some comparison is good, because if you don't have something to measure yourself against, you're not going to grow. So I, I have guys in my life who are amazing pastors, husbands, fathers, and I look at their life, and it helps me determine what my potential is, and I compare myself against that potential, and it causes growth. But it turns unhealthy, and it's never helpful when you compare somebody else to anybody else you should never compare your wife to anybody else your husband to anybody else certainly your kids to anybody else why can't you be more like your sibling used to do it this way look at that friend why can't you be more like that person comparing never works it never works it's unhelpful it's unfair it's lethal to a relationship and it stunts growth so uh, those are the things that help people grow doesn't help people grow, 
things we need to help our kids grow in, and this watering can represents what kids desperately need from their families, and they need their growth and courage. This represents another thing um, kids desperately need from their families, and it's this uh, raincoat. How many of you remember these? How many of you uh, have one of these? How many, did anyone have the yellow booties that are supposed to come with these? I really wanted a pair of those too, but I didn't have any yellow booties. So if you have any I could use for the last service, that'd be nice. But what does a raincoat do? A raincoat protects you from the rain. A raincoat, it, it doesn't protect you from the storm, but it protects you from, it protects you in the storm. It protects you in the storm. And that's what we need to offer our kids, because every one of our kids is going to go through storms. Jesus says it's going to rain on the good and the bad, the just and the unjust. And so often when we're going through a storm in life, we think, well, God must be punishing me. No, 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 no. he's not punishing you. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you stop having problems. Anybody want to give a testimony to that? Yeah. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean there's no longer storms in life. Everybody's going to go through storms. But what we can offer our kids is something that they need. That In those emotional storms, the financial storms, the moral storms, the physical storms of life, the relational storms. When you go through a storm, you need some protection. And families are meant to be a raincoat in the storms of life. Write this down. Kids need protection in storms. Notice what it does not say. It does not say kids need protection from storms because you're not going to be able to protect your kid from every storm of life. They're going to go through storms, but you can be a raincoat for them. You can be a covering. You can be a help in the storms of life. And we got to help each other and protect each other. Proverbs 14, 26 says, Reverence for the Lord gives a man deep strength. His children have a place of refuge and security. What are some storms that kids are going to go through? Let me give you three of them here. One storm is change. Change is a storm in life. It can be upsetting, particularly to kids. And we need, that's when we, they need family around them. Whether it's a, a big, a major event or a minor change. You can't protect them from change. Change is part of life. It's inevitable. You can't protect kids from change, but you can come alongside them and help them in change. When I was uh, two years old, my family uh, moved from here to Wisconsin and uh, uprooted their whole life. My dad says, you know, I was changing jobs, uh, uprooting our whole life, moving our family. Your mother's, you know, we're changing friends and and communities and churches and uh, your older brother was in sixth grade. He's changing schools and all his friends. But who was that change? Who was that move the hardest on? The two-year-old. And we often think, well, I'm the one that's having all the change, but change is a storm for a kid that you can't protect them from, but you can come alongside and weather that storm with them. Another storm of life is harmful ideas. And many children are provided for, but they're not protected. They're provided for, they have everything they need, but they're not protected. They're going to, to movies and watching TV shows and reading books and listening to music that they have no business being engaged in. They're following celebrities and YouTube channels they have no business following. And if you say, well, I, I don't make choices for my kids. 
then you're not a parent. That's what a parent does. A parent makes, one of their roles is to make choices for their kids who are not mature enough to understand fully the consequences of the decisions, to, to, that they're not mature enough, developed enough to make those choices for themselves. That's why you're there. That's why you're the parent. And someone's got to make the choice to, to protect kids from all the vile and vulgar and, and vain things of this planet. And parents don't only provide for their kids, they are to protect. And if you're going to protect your kids' physical health, you need to protect their mental health too. A third storm that we need to protect kids in is rejection. And this is a storm that all of us face at some point in life. And it's the most painful one of all because when we feel betrayed, when we feel rejected, and you can't protect your kids from all the rejection, they're not going to make every team. They're not going to make every good grade. They're not going to get every job that they uh, apply for. They're not. And your role then is not to chew out the coach or the teacher or the business owner. Your, goal, your, your job is to come alongside and be a raincoat for them and, and to mourn with those who mourn and to walk them uh, through that rejection. You know, it's not only the kids that are going through storms. Sometimes it's the grandparents. Sometimes it's the parents. Sometimes uh, it's the uh, older siblings or someone in the family. And we can come alongside and be a raincoat for them. But kids, kids instinctively know that they can't protect themselves. They instinctively know, I, I need a family. You know, we forget that as we grow old. We think we can do it on our own. But kids know, I need someone. I need help. And this is why orphans are the most vulnerable people in the world. Because kids need to be cared for particularly in the storms of life. And I'm so thankful for this church that is full of teachers and nurses and coaches and people who minister to kids and RBFK and many other ways. And I was just thinking through all the people in our church that have uh, adopted uh, orphans into their family and just so thankful for them and their willingness to care for kids. And uh, people who, uh, man, they take their role as a grandfather, a grandmother, as an aunt or an uncle uh, very seriously. I'm thankful to be part of a church that supports life and is pro-life for everyone. From the moment of conception to natural death, that's called family. Families are for life. You don't just abandon someone because they, quote, aren't useful. You don't abandon someone just because uh, they weren't planned for, because they're the, the product of a traumatic event. Every life is valuable, and God is watching. And so thank you for being a people that protects kids, that loves loves kids, and cares for the next generation. So a raincoat represents the protection that kids need from their parents. What's the, what's the fourth thing? The fourth uh, symbol is this globe. And what does a globe have to do, what in the world does this have to do with what kids need from their families? Kids need God's vision for the world. If you don't give them God's vision for the world, they're going to become um, more and more self-centered. And so many families just uh, take on the mantle of, well, it's us four and no more. And uh, we'll just take care of us and our own. No, that's not what God calls us to do. God so loved the world. And he calls us to raise a generation that cares about the world. 
And that is serving God by serving other people. If you're taking notes, just write this in. Kids need serving opportunities. To serve God and serve others. By the way, that's how you serve God, is by serving others. And amazing families teach their kids that they were made, for, made by God for a mission. Amazing families teach their kids that they were shaped to serve God. And parents are to instill in their kids the value to care about other people. Hebrews 10.24, I love this. Let us think about each other, not just ourselves, and let us help each other to show love and good deeds. Good deeds are called ministry. They're called service. An amazing example of this uh, is in the book of Acts. It talks about this guy Cornelius. It says, he, Cornelius, and all his family were devout and God-fearing. I want that to be said about your family, that your family is devout and God-fearing. They gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. What a great legacy. Wouldn't you love for someone to write that about you and your family? The 2,000 years from today, you're they're telling the story and looking through history and says, look at this family over here. They're praying and, and they love God and they're giving generously. Wouldn't you love that to be said about your family? What a testimony. What a legacy. That's amazing. And amazing families model dedication, model service, model generosity. They model prayer. Yes, of course you're teaching those, kid, those things to your kids. But do they see you doing it? Do they, they're going to be generous when they see you being generous. They're going to be prayerful when they see you praying. They're going to be devout and God-fearing when they see you fearing God and putting Him first. Average families don't do these things. Amazing families do. And what are you modeling to your kids? Because they're watching, they're picking up on it. Uh, about six months ago, we did a series called Go and Tell. How many of you remember the series Go and Tell? It was just down-to-earth, practical stuff about how to share uh, our faith with the people in our lives. And uh, out of that series, we put up a wall in the lobby, this Go and Tell wall, and if you had a conversation where you shared your faith or invited someone to church or something like that, you could put that person's name on a ping-pong ball and then drop it in the wall. And so uh, the other day we counted up those conversations, and this is less than one-fourth of them. There was uh, 1,107 conversations represented in that wall. But a fascinating thing started to happen as the weeks kind of went by on that, as more and more kids were coming in, writing a name on a ping-pong ball and dropping it in the wall. Because they saw their parents having conversations and heard their parents sharing their faith and it sparked them to share their faith. And it's, it's a powerful thing. I remember, uh, you know, listening to my parents share their faith and my brother share his faith and listening to the unbelievers' questions. And it's how I learned a lot about my faith and how to share my faith. Your kids are catching all of that. They're catching your passion for Christ. They're catching your passion for your faith. And yes, we're teaching it, but are we actually putting hands and feet to it and serving God by serving others? You know, amazing families, they're not perfect. They're not. They don't have perfect grade point averages. They don't live in perfect homes. They don't have the perfect setup and just everything looks great. They're amazing because they made a choice. 
They're amazing because they made a choice to serve God. Joshua 24 says, choose today whom you will serve. Are you going to serve yourself? Are you going to serve society? Are you going to serve worldly values? Are you going to serve money? Choose today whom you will serve. Joshua said, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I don't care what other families do. We're serving the Lord. And until you make that decision, family will never make sense to you. Until you make that decision, the purpose of family will never make sense to you. So let's make that choice together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you know we, we want to have a God-honoring family, an amazing family. That's why we're here. And so, God, we just give things over to you. We just give over the negativity and everything else. We want our, our, our home and our family to be a place where it's fun to come home from school. It's fun to come home from work. We want our family to be a place where we can encourage one another uh, to grow through example, through conversations, through just the culture of our family. God, help us uh, protect our family, not just their bodies, but also their minds. And God, show us how we can serve one another. We cannot do these things on our own, Lord. We ask you to come into our life and our family to take complete control of every area, and give us the power to do these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.